why do we need this? We're getting married. You know, it's so early for us to be reaching out for people think of like couples therapy as being sort of like the last straw or the rock bottom or something like that. Landis Behar has a job you may not have heard of before. She's a wedding therapist. In her room, individuals and couples plan for the big day by setting goals and processing the experience of the transition. Her blog offers tips on wedding therapy themes such as defending something you never meant to defend. Join me for a conversation with Landis Behar. This is Shame Pinata. I'm Colleen Thomas. Welcome to Shame Pinata, where we talk about creating rites of passage for real life transitions. Today, we're exploring the idea of wedding therapy. Did you know wedding therapists are a thing? I had no idea until I read an article by Allison Kruger in the New York Times called Why Stress When You Can See a Wedding Therapist. I learned that there are therapists who not only specialize in life transitions, but that some specialize in weddings specifically. Landis Behar is one of those therapists. She's a licensed mental health counselor, and she started her own practice called I'll Talk two years ago in New York City. In addition to the New York Times, I'll Talk has been featured in Brides Magazine, Business Insider, and The Atlantic. Landis is super personable and passionate about her work. She walked me through how I'll Talk came to be and answered my questions about what makes weddings such a potent time for everyone involved. She's also a big proponent of removing the stigma from therapy. She regularly attends bridal fairs to get her work out into the world, bring it out of the shadows, and make it a shame-free option for couples. She stresses there's nothing wrong with you if you and your partner are arguing a bit more as you approach the wedding, or if your communication isn't quote-unquote perfect. You're actually doing a monumental thing in rearranging your life and potentially the lives of your family. Landa shared with me the moment the idea for her practice was born. The sort of aha moment came in the midst of an argument in a bridal dress salon between my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law. My sister-in-law was trying on dresses. My mother-in-law was commenting on how she looked in them. And I was um, sort of there for moral support. And um, my mother-in-law said something that did not sit well with my sister-in-law about how a certain dress fit. And that sparked an argument between the two of them. So I sort of, as the you know, off-duty therapist in the room said something to sort of smooth things over and kind of join them together and let each, essentially let each of them feel heard, which is Mm -hmm. a lot of what we do in family therapy and kind of realize that, you know, this was not intended to be hurtful. It was not intended to, you know, be taken in the way that it was and um, sort of got everyone on the same page. And in the wake of that, my mother-in-law sort of jokingly commented, good thing that we brought the therapist along. How come you're not a bridal therapist? Um, Which I thought at first was very funny. And a lot of people have made comments like that to me over my career within different specialties, whatever it was I was doing Mm. at the time, whether it was I was, you know, um, you know, uh, holding a baby or playing with a 
animal or something like that. You should be a baby therapist. You should be a dog <laughs> therapist, different things of that nature. But there was something about this comment where I sort of did have one of those aha moments. And I said, wait a second, does that exist? Mm-hmm. Um, because I've been a bride before and I know that there's lots of psychological and dynamic pieces that are involved in planning a wedding and thinking about getting married and there should be bridal therapists. So that was kind of that Mm. moment where I started thinking about this as an actual business and some work that I could be good at. Why is it that the deep-rooted family problems can come out of the woodwork at weddings? First of all, like weddings are not are not new, even though the, the the way in which we might experience them feels like it's ever changing and ever evolving. It's a really long standing tradition. Um, and so I think that with that comes lots of ways to interpret that tradition. And that can be just very different in one family to another. It can be really different from one individual to another. Mm-hmm. It can be really and really different from one couple um, as compared to each of their family of origin. So we have this thing that like has been around for so long, but everybody interprets it differently. And so I think that that's one set of circumstances that sort of informs, you know, how that can cause some some family issues to arise along that, you know, plane is that, you know, weddings are also culturally informed. Mm -hmm. So there's cultural expectations, there's generational expectations about how this milestone is recognized. And it's a milestone, not only for an individual person, and not only for a couple, but many view it as a milestone for a family. Mm -hmm. So um, kind of you know, those, I feel like those two things are like a Venn diagram where there's separate Mm -hmm. things and then overlapping things. And then on top of that, it's a marker of time, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and with any sort of marker of time or what I call in my work, a life transition, all kinds of stress comes up because Mm -hmm. as we mark time and as we move from one life state to another through a life transition, we ostensibly are grieving the previous state in order to make space for the new state. And that can be challenging both for the person who's moving through it and the people surrounding that person. So if we remove ourselves from the wedding example, we have like a mom sending her five-year-old to kindergarten, (laughs) a mom might cry. And it's not because she doesn't, she's not happy that her child is ready for the next step in their life, but she might be grieving those toddler years or those years where she spent more time with the child and now is kind of watching them gain their independence and moving into this next state. And same reason why we cry at graduations, you know, and we, um, you know, all of those things. So that comes up during weddings as well. And then the other thing that I would say is that, like, there's a lot of pressure for this to be the happiest day of your life. And so when you have all of these other sort of variables coming up that would naturally challenge our emotions and psychological states and family dynamics, the the, the first sign of distress feels really upsetting and maybe extra upsetting because of the pressure that we're all supposed to be so happy And I think that that kind of creates a little bit of a pressure cooker for some of these things to come out in really aggressive ways that we're not expecting. You had spoken before about the taboo of therapy. 
And yeah. It sounds like you you address that in your work. I do try to address that in my work first by acknowledging how hard it might be for somebody to reach out to me and also to make my practice one that is trying to sort of in its presentation and where we show up, whether it's a bridal show or a workshop or, you know, something like that, that just in by by showing up and not being sort of in the dark corners of the internet, we're modeling that it's okay to seek out therapy. It's okay to seek out therapy during this time um, and things like that. That's wonderful. And specifically, how does that taboo relate to folks who are planning to get married? Yeah, I think that um, I think it's like that image of like if somebody is sort of operating either consciously or unconsciously from this place that there is a taboo around therapy, then people might relate to either themselves or maybe the perception of others that if you're going to therapy, you have hit rock bottom or Mm. things are really dire or things are really terrible. Mm -hmm. So if one or more of the partners is operating under that assumption or they feel like people around them are operating under that assumption, that can be really disheartening to think that you've hit rock bottom when you're Mm. just about to get married, Mm -hmm. which is certainly not true, not true most of the time, of course, could be true, I'm sure, in many cases, but is not a requisite to seeking out therapy. Are you putting that message out there to help combat the taboo of therapy around the couples that are getting married in some way? Yeah, I think that in a, like, in a wider brush stroke, Mm -hmm. um, when we're talking to, like, more people, like, then we're doing it sort of inherently in our actions rather than our words, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, Mm -hmm. showing up at an expo and being, like, you know, at a table in between your, you know, the personal trainers and the bridesmaids dresses and the makeup (laughs) artists is, like, your wedding therapist. (laughs) I think... (laughs) I think that showing up in that way as our sort of like walking the walk rather than talking the talk is like, Mm -hmm. we don't feel ashamed about it. We want to tell you what we're here for. We want to tell you the things that are very common to experience during your wedding planning. And if that relates to you, come on over. Like we are here to support you during this process. And I think that is sort of like our our walking the rock the walk of of destigmatizing therapy to not sort of be in the closets and in the shadows and be very present amongst the people the other people who help you with your wedding planners or your you know all the things that you do um, as you're preparing to get to get married and then maybe more on a micro level is when we're working with people that's the first thing that we're addressing. We're saying, you know, it's really hard, you know, we're acknowledging how hard it is in the midst of whether it's our own personal stigma that we carry or just societal societal stigma. We're acknowledging how powerful it is that they're seeking seeking support in spite of that and normalizing for so many people that this is so common and it happens so often and there's nothing wrong with you there's nothing pathological about you because you're arguing a little bit more during this time or you're having difficulty with communication you're collaborating on a big event together not just the two of you but also incorporating the needs and wishes of your two families and trying to strike a balance between that and you're on the precipice of committing to a life together and there's a lot of pressure in that, you know, and you're mourning maybe a loss of your singlehood, which nobody wants to talk about. 
So we're really doing a lot to sort of normalize that experience and the stress that inherently comes with that. What is the experience like for you when you're at the bridal fairs? How do couples relate to you? It's interesting. I think that like, I do notice a difference between like kind of across generations. Mm. So I notice that some of the moms in the group or um, some of the maybe older generations um, will have will have like definitely some humorous reactions. I've definitely had like some older folks come by and just say, you know, kind of like laugh or giggle or say, oh my gosh, I can't, they, they think of everything lately, which is totally <laughs> true. And I totally I acknowledge that. But I also think that in that is maybe layered with some discomfort, perhaps mm-hmm. with the idea of seeking therapy for mm-hmm. all of these different reasons. Mm-hmm. But by and large, the reaction is, oh my God, that is so needed. What a great business. A lot of times I have people who are stopping by who maybe are accompanying a bride and they say, oh my gosh, what I would have given for this during my wedding planning or my family needed this so much or reactions like that. Mm. And then the other reactions are from the other vendors who (laughs) have probably subbed in as surrogate therapists or just Mm. support people Um, as they've been closer to the stress up until this point in wedding history and have taken on the brunt of, you know, family feuds or emotional breakdowns or things like that. Mm -hmm. And they're oftentimes the most supportive of this mission because that's not what they are contracted Mm -hmm. to do necessarily (laughs) or what they feel comfortable with or what they're trained for or any of those things. Right. So how cool would it be to actually have a trained therapist on staff, if you will, to help you navigate the stresses of the ceremony, not only your stresses, but those that might be coming up from the folks around you? I'm hoping this wedding therapy idea is one that catches on. May we all have all the support and witnessing we need as we go through all of our life transitions. So on the show, we talk a lot about life transitions, and we have a yes. focus on creating rites of passage for those as as we feel called to do that, whatever we feel that urgency when something is really intense, and we, we really want to honor a transition with ceremony. Mm-hmm. And we also talk about rites of passage that we had, that we had in our life or that we wished we'd had in our life. And so mm-hmm. I'm curious if there are any transitions in your life that you wish you could have had a rite of passage for. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I've ever really like articulated this, but when I was in like middle school time, so like seventh, eighth grade, I had a lot of friends who were having bar and bat mitzvahs. And I think for me as someone who has one Jewish parent but wasn't raised with any sort of formal religion in my family growing up. It was it was a time where I sort of longed to be part of something a little bit more structured. And I saw my friends kind of going through that rite of passage and all that comes with it. It's not just a day, but it's, mm. you know, years of practice and study and understanding and and sacrifice in terms of like the time and the energy when you're, you know, a really young person and you're often working on like a special philanthropic project. Mm -hmm. Um, You're learning a new language. You're sort of performing 
that new language in front of other people. You're interpreting it. You're doing a lot of things that probably at the time I was like interested in certain aspects, but as I've gotten older, I'm think it's really interesting, um, sort of rite of passage for a very young person and like tasked with a lot of responsibility. Then I guess 10, 15 years later, I was, you know, thinking about getting married to my partner and my person who I found. And I was marrying somebody who was Jewish and who longed for a partner who was Jewish and might have converted or being, and if they weren't already either converted or, or in my case, sort of affirmed their Jewish identity and gone through a process of like doing that so that we could, you know, raise a Jewish family and Mm -hmm. things that I probably wasn't able to, to do, without having the Jewish upbringing and just having my one Jewish parent. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, that was like a very special time for me going through that process before getting married. And I think that it's really interesting that as you asked me this question, the rite of passage of the bar about mitzvah that I immediately think of feels very feels like it fits really well because ultimately like I did sort of go through this conversion or or affirmation of my Jewish identity that has been very important to me. Um, And I feel like as a part of that work that I did when I was an adult, I reflected on many moments in my life where I longed for like being more a part of that community. And I feel Mm -hmm. like as a part of getting married I got to do that in a more formal way that I had longed for as an individual and then kind of gone through as a process in my, you know, planning to get married. So you went through the bat mitzvah process, but when you were older? It was a conversion process, which okay. is different from gotcha. the bat mitzvah, but it feels like it feels very relevant that I guess that was something that I longed for and later sort of affirmed my Jewish identity nice. in a different way and in sort of this adult way, which you can have yeah. a bar about it's about any age. And it's something that I kind of think about, but it is actually quite more involved than the conversion, which is already very involved. It's like a year long process, but the bat mitzvah, which is like amazing because this is something that I try to wrap my mind around doing now and, and like, you know, 12 and 13 year olds are doing it at that age. I feel even more impressed by it now as an adult. Um, But yeah, it's something that I still think about doing today, but haven't. But I feel like it just fits in with sort of this path that I sort of took on a little bit later in life. There was actually an article in the Austin Chronicle this week about women in their, you know, fullness of their womanhood, no, no longer, mm-hmm. you know, preteens or teenagers who who were going right. through um, kind of a bat mitzvah experience. They called it a, a benat mitzvah. <laughs> oh, that's cute. <laughs> that's so cute. Well, when I was doing my conversion classes, um, there was actually a, a class that was simultaneously going on in the synagogue, which was women um, mm-hmm. who were, you know, fully in their womanhood, not teenagers mm-hmm. or preteens. Um, and they were all doing a bat mitzvah class together. Wow. Um, and so I was like in my in my class over here, which was different, but I would sort of look over mm-hmm. and and say that that might be something that I do later on down the road. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been so inspiring just to talk with you today. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to talk about these things. I 
I, I feel like these are all things that I, I love to talk about. And I love to reflect on and are so important to me. And I love the kind of context of really focusing in on the transition and the ritual and mm. how that um, is impacted by all the things that, um, you know, my specific work is impacted by in terms of, you know, stigma and pressure and all of those things. So I really mm. appreciate the, the opportunity to talk with you. Landis Behar is a licensed mental health counselor in private practice in New York City. Her practice is called I'll Talk. I'll Talk focuses on helping individuals and couples cope through the stresses of planning a wedding and getting married through therapy and counseling. Learn more at ialtalk.com. That's isle-talk.com. Our music is by Terry Hughes. If you like the show, we'd love it if you'd share it with a friend. Learn more at shamepinata.com. I'm Colleen Thomas. Thanks for listening.